find interesting meanings there. But sometimes when we do that, we fail to see the bigger picture of what God is doing in the world and who he is. Our hope in this series is that we'll be able to do that together. To zoom out and see the big picture of the story of God. Because I believe that we really only find our true meaning and our real purpose when we situate ourselves within the grander story that God is telling. So my prayer for myself and for all of us over this next six-week journey is not just that we would find God to be the grand storyteller that He is, but that we would very personally find Him to be our storyteller. Now, every good story has a compelling beginning. A chance to situate the story within its proper context and to meet all of the key characters. And the story of God is no different. And that's what we want to start with this morning. Situating ourselves in this very context. Hearing the story of God as it starts in part one with the reality of creation. You know, many people find themselves sort of consumed with this idea of how when thinking about creation. How did God do it? How did it come to be? What is the scientific evidence? How do we piece this all together? In the church, there is a myriad of theories about how this happens. If you were hoping that we would talk about any of them, I apologize. That would be a great conversation for you and I to have over coffee one day. But what I think is really happening in this narrative of creation is the storyteller wants us to focus on two very different questions. First, who? And second, why? While we've been consumed with how for far too long, we have missed the point of the creation story. That is who and why. When we think about who, The storyteller very much wants us to focus on God Himself. You probably are very familiar with the opening words of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think about that for just a minute. What is happening in the context when the storyteller says, In the beginning? beginning. He's situating God before any of creation exists. That is, God exists before anything created. Theologians and scholars talk about ex nihilo. That means out of nothing creation. My children struggle to believe that I grew up in a world without cell phones and computers. Well, there were computers and probably cell phones, but not for people like me. They struggled to understand that life could exist outside of iPhones and laptops and Minecraft and anything else that consumes them. They can't even begin to relate to these things. And as old as I may or may not be, think about for a minute that God says, in the beginning, before creation, God was. 
completely outside of all created things, not just before the iPhone era. You know, being uh, someone who is, I think I owned my first cell phone after I got married. I got my first computer my junior year in college, and I knew how to live life without them, right? We did things like we went outside. It was, it was interesting, but we did that, you know? We played with these strange things called balls. You know, they, they would bounce, and you could hit them sometimes. It was, and we spoke to people face-to-face. It was interesting realities, right? But both my children are far more capable with any technology than I am. They, they sort of innately know what to do with it, right? Because it's kind of part of who they are and is in their midst. One of the cool realities that God was before anything created was means that he is not consumed or blocked or caged in by time itself. That is that God is not a child of the 80s like me. God is not a millennial or a Gen Xer, right? God is not of an era. In other words, he can relate to each and every era each and every person that ever was, is, or will be exactly the same. Now, as bad as technology as I may be, uh, my parents, if they were here, would let you know that it's far worse, right? So my parents a lot of times spend time talking on the phone, not to me, but to my children about their computer problems, right? And so with each passing generation that's dis- that is separated, that is unrelated to the new technology of the era, we see more and more the inability to relate. And this is what's so fascinating about God, is that he completely relates to everything and anything because he himself is outside of time. See, the first thing I think the storyteller wants us to know is, as simple as this might sound, God is big. God is big. That before there was creation, there was God. That God is the one that set creation into motion, however you make sense of that. That God is outside of time and therefore able to relate in any way, in every situation, to every single person and circumstance. God is big. Now, the storyteller goes on to say fascinating things. So you're probably somewhat familiar with the story, right? God created light. He said, let there be light, and there was light, and there was day, and there was night. And then God said, let the stars be illuminated, and let there be two flashes of light, one the sun, one the moon, and let there be water, and all of these things that sort of are playing out in creation. What is interesting to me, much more than did God, you know, is this exactly how he did it, is what he did, right? Who he is. In the days of the Israelites, especially Moses' generation, and Moses is the one who transcribed this creation story. In the days of that generation, peoples of the world worshipped things like the sun and the moon and the stars and the sea. As strange as that might be for us to figure out, this is what they did. This is how they related to the created world. That is, the sun was a God, and they had to please that God in order for the sun to keep providing for them what they needed. What the storyteller wants us to see is that 
everything that other people have called God, God is actually bigger than that. He was before that, and He said it straight into motion. God is big. Not only that, do you see what He's doing? He doesn't just sort of abracadabra, boom, and things happen. He names things. You might say, well, of course he does. How else are we going to make sense of it, right? He says, let there be light, and there's light, and let there be water, and there's water, and all these things. But but what you have to understand is that when you name something, what you're actually doing is, in some sense, uh, establishing your authority or sovereignty over it, right? You don't get to name everything in this world, do you? The things that you get to name, you sort of have some level of authority or control over. And so the storyteller at the outset wants us to know God is bigger than we can even imagine. Before there was a created world, God was. And anything in the created world that we might look to and think, wow, that's so big and impressive and maybe even worship, God is bigger yet than that thing. In fact, he's the one that named it and therefore has authority over it. Now, many of us have grown up in traditions where we've said, well, we know God is big. It's kind of scary and frightening. And theologians call it the transcendence of God. It even sounds scarier when you say that, right? But notice something that's beginning to happen in the story. There's a transition beginning to happen because when God names things, He's not just casting his authority over it. He's actually demonstrating his proximity to it. Do you see it? And so the storyteller wants us to know not only that God is big, but also just as important that God is close. That he's near. That he's proximate. He's able to name the things because he's in close Connection to them. He understands what they are, who they are, and what they're meant to do. God is close. In fact, when the storyteller gets to the part towards the end of Genesis chapter 1, where he wants to talk about humanity coming into being, he says something very interesting. Do you remember this? He says that he made humanity in His image. Now what does this mean? In His image. Does that mean He kind of looks like them? You look in the mirror and they're the same thing? Sort of, but not really, right? It's got less to do with looks than it has to do with kind of this special nature of humanity. That we actually were created to be in a relationship, a connection with God Himself. This big, huge God of the universe created you and me in His image. Nothing else is spoken about that way. In fact, nothing else in creation is spoken to directly by God except humanity. He's close. In fact, in chapter 2, there's this interesting phrase, right? It says that God walked with man and woman in the cool of the day. So it's not just that he created us like him. It's that he is with his creation. That he likes them. That he's engaged with them. 
that the relationship is real, that it's a daily reality. In fact, in the creation story, we are very well introduced to God's ideal, as I call it. That is that the people of God would dwell in God's land with God himself. If you want to know what God's after, that's it. Creator God with people created in his image dwelling in a land, the earth, that he has created for them. This is the heart of the creator God. Who? God is big, but also close. And we begin to transition into the second question, the why question, right? Well, why is creation happening? Why is this story so important to us? Because it tells us something very distinctly important to know about God. And that is, if you were to define God with one name, before you would choose big or even close, I would suggest to you, you should choose the word love. That God is the very embodiment of what love really is. See, the creation story, more than anything, certainly more than trying to us figure out how it happened, wants us to know that God loves us. Listen, maybe for you, you just need to pause at that moment and soak it in. Because your whole life, you've been trying to earn something that's already yours. It's already yours. God, as he's creating things in the creation account, right? He creates the heavens and the earth and the light and the sea and the sun and the stars and the moon. He keeps saying, this is good, this is good. And it says, and then he created man and he paused and he said, catch this, this is very good. This is very good. And then it says, and then God rested. Right? Now listen, it's been a busy morning for me. When I go home, I have one, one important engagement. It's the, the eagles, right? And then after that, I intend to rest, right? Because i am worked hard. Uh, hopefully it's been a good morning, and I'm tired. I need to rest. This is not the kind of rest that is the, the storyteller is telling us about, right? God didn't get really tired because it was really hard for him to do all this stuff. The rest that he's talking about is actual enjoyment. And the thing that made him stop to rest is humanity. God didn't stop because he was tired. He didn't stop because he needed a day off. He didn't stop because his boss was riding him too hard, right? He didn't stop because, man, I just need a vacation. All these things can be true in our personal lives. He stopped because when he created humanity, he was so infatuated and in love with it, he wanted to be with it. He wanted to enjoy it. In fact, it's the only thing in the history of the world that has made God stop. Think of all the evil that has happened in the world. The only thing that has made God stop is to enjoy humanity. Friends, I want you to know something this morning. God pauses to enjoy you. He loves you. As you are, not as you should be. You make 
the big creator of the world pause to enjoy you. This is the story of creation that the storyteller is telling. And we keep seeing it, right? Because in the second chapter, God looks at the man that he made and he notices something about him. Now, females, men, whatever, interpret this however you want. We're not going to go there. He looks at man and says, something's not right, right? Take that however you want to. He says, he needs help. This is a truth, right? He needs help. And so he creates female to be with male. In the large sense, because in order to glorify God, we need both. But in the other sense, that think about the realities of what's happening here. You have a God who's huge, so many things to be consumed with, has come near, and because he has such affection for the humanity that he's created, he is able to notice what this person needs. And not just notice it, but provide it for him. This is love, right? This is what it means to be defined by love. And then what's fascinating to me at the end of chapter 1 of Genesis, it says that God said to the man, have dominion over the world. All the fish of the sea and the animals in the garden, all these things, you're going to have authority over it. Now think about this for a minute. God has just created all of these things and then immediately hands it off to humanity. It says, this is for you. Now this is mind-boggling. This is love. In the ancient world, in the days of Moses, who would have the kind of polemic arguments to this, here's how the people viewed their gods. They viewed their gods through the lens of fear. Gods who were pretty much always angry at them for not doing what they should do. They were created simply to sort of wait hand and foot on their gods, keep them happy, keep bringing them beverages by the poolside and fanning them, right? So that they could continue to get from the gods what they needed. Think now what's happening in Genesis chapter 1. God is not instituting this same storyline. Instead, he says, you know what? This whole world that I've created... Here you go. You have it. I trust you to have authority and dominion over it. I love you, and I'm giving you this responsibility out of love. It's a grace-based gift to humanity instead of a fear-based, you better do this or else. See, the story of God is put into its proper context, is it not? And when we stop being consumed with the how questions that people are trying to answer, and rightfully so, and instead see the story the way the storyteller wants us to see it, through the who and the why, that God is big, but God has come near because he loves us. Then and only then can we begin to see the rest of the story play out as God intends for it to play out. So this morning you might be saying to me, well, that's great, but so what? All right? That's great, but so what? Let me give you two so what's to leave with. The first is, this world 
is trying to shove other storylines down your throat. Right? And I don't, that sounds nasty. I don't mean it in a nasty way. Because we do it to ourselves too. Everyone is telling competing narratives, right? And you're going to constantly be hearing competing narratives of what's important, of what makes your life worthwhile, of how you become valuable, right? Some of the competing narratives we talk about it all the time is, hey, you're only valuable if you produce. We were getting donuts this morning, and as we're pulling up, we usually get, I don't know, 150 donuts for church, and we thought, well, we're going to get 200 today, but I ordered it secondarily at the counter, And the lady said to me, well, you can do that, but you're going to have to pull forward because we're on a timer, right? They only had so many time to deliver out the the drive-through window. And my first thought was, well, that's a good process, right? Because I like fast food to be really, really fast. But then it kind of fits into the storyline that most of us have only begun to believe our value in how productive we can be, right? You feel it at work all the time, don't you? What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? It's a competing story. The story of creation, the story of God says, the God of the universe pauses to enjoy you. He loves you. He's on the lookout for your needs and trying to meet them. Trying to give to you the things that you need to live this life well. But in so much as we're given to other storylines, we get pulled off the track and the train that is our life is derailed and crashes into giant messes. The so what of the creation story is you have to ground your identity in this story, otherwise you'll be pulled astray. The second so what is that this story is all about who or what you're going to worship. Right? I mean, the creation story is really set up for us to see that God is the only one, the only thing that is actually worthy of our worship and affection. The word worship really means worth-ship. That is that what will you actually ascribe value or worth to? And for many of us, we give worth to a lot of things. The creation story wants us to know that above all things, God is the one who's actually worthy of our praise and value. Think about it. God is big. Before any created thing, God was. He names all the created things. And any created thing that we have a tendency to worship, God was before that too. Right? We sometimes like to think about the ancient peoples and say, they worshipped the sun and the moon? How small of them. And yet we too are very much given to worshipping created things. Just not the sun and the moon. Maybe you do, I don't know. Maybe it's football. Maybe it's a clean house. Maybe it's your vocation and your job. Maybe it's a picture-perfect family. Maybe it is the American dream that has been shot at us for a million years as this is what you deserve, right? And God says, I'm bigger than those things. 
And if you really want to find your value and meaning, you'll do it as you find your place in my story. God is worthy of worship, not just because he's big, but because he's close. Think about it. The creator of the universe has come near to you. He knows you intimately. In the Psalms, the psalmist tells us that God knows the number of hairs on our head. For some of you, that's much harder than it is for me, right? But no matter what, for every individual person that was, is, or will be, God is so intimately acquainted with them that he knows them. David wrote in the Psalms that he, God, knew him in his mother's womb. Right? The God of the universe that was in the beginning, before all things, has authority over all things, knows you that well. He deserves to be worshipped. And lastly, God is love. Think about this for a minute. The God of the universe has come near to know you. Now, you know yourself, you know, second only to God. And even despite finding out what he has found out, which is lots of good, lots of bad, and a lot in the middle, right? He still loves you. He still pauses to enjoy you. The God of the universe has come close to know you, and in knowing you, loves you with an unconditional, unbreakable love. When all else passes away in your understanding of this world, one thing remains. God's love never fails. It doesn't fail in your low points It doesn't fail in your high points. It doesn't fail at your greatest successes or your biggest failures. God has come near. He knows you. And He loves you. And you might say, well, that's wonderful, Adam, but it's also esoteric. Right? It's also abstract and foreign. Let me give you a little highlight on where this story is going. It's a famous man in history named Jesus. We believe Jesus is the center of everything. It's why at Hope Alliance Church we have a statement. Simply Jesus. Forget all the religious baggage. Let's just get to Jesus. In the story of Jesus, listen to how these three things come true. Jesus, who is God in heaven, looks down on earth and sees it in its full brokenness. Sin every which way. Evil all over the place. Personally, nationally, globally, whatever it might be. He leaves the comforts of heaven to enter into the mess of humanity. A big God comes near. And he doesn't come into humanity to give a certain moral message. Hey, if you did X, Y, and Z, you'd make God happy. right? If you just started really upping your church attendance, if you would just you know, read the Bible more often, you know, say some more prayers, if you do these things, God would be happy. He didn't... He isn't a big God who came near to be an interesting teacher or a moral philosopher. It's a big God who came near to demonstrate unconditional love. That humanity at its lowest, broken by sin, forever separated from God. Jesus, and therefore God himself, breaks in 
through the cross. Showing love in its most powerful form. Rescuing all of creation that would, be, that would join him. And through the power of the resurrection, announcing final victory. You say the creation story seems foreign. It's not personal. I get it. God is big. He came close. He loves us. Yada, 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 yada. Preacher, preacher, preacher. No, 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 no. God loves you. The creator of the universe looks down on our broken estate. And he comes close. Not to scold us. Sometimes it, my, my boys have this new computer set up, right? And they have these computers next to each other. And they love to play with their cousins. And they do all these computer games and, you know, Minecraft and whatever. And every once in a while, there's a little blow up, right, up there. Uh, people are not doing the right thing or someone's not doing good enough or a cousin. It's not happening well with the cousin over in, in Lancaster or whatever. And so my initial reaction is to get louder, Right? So I, I stop what I'm doing and I get louder than the loudness upstairs. And I demand that they come down. Right? And when they come down, what do I do? I say, I don't appreciate what's going on up there. You're bothering me. And it's nonsense. Now stop it or else. Now think about Jesus for a minute. When he sees the chaos of our life, He does not get louder and demand we come to him. He stopped what he was doing. He walks up the steps. He gently enters the room of his sons. He puts his arm around them and he says, listen, there's a better way. The God of the universe comes near in love. This is your story. This is why creation matters. You're here this morning and you feel like your life is broken. Like you've always been looking for something to validate yourself, to find meaning or worth. Man, you have entered into the right story this morning. Stop believing that it's something you can earn or produce. And start believing that the God of the universe pauses to enjoy you. He's blown away by you. Not as you should be, as you are. Whether you make the timer at the drive-thru or the quota at work, whether you yell at your kids upstairs or parent them better than I do. And he says to you, no matter your warts, no matter your brokenness, I'm here to provide you a better way that your story finds its true meaning and value in God's story. Can I pray with you?